As you know, we've been going through the book of Revelation. So we stopped last week and we had a Christmas message. Then last night we had a Christmas candlelight message. So one more Christmas message if you haven't got the point here. Well, hey, <laughs> you got to go topical sometime or another. You can't always go expositional. We will be back in Revelation next week. But we're in, uh, you want to turn to Micah chapter 5. And we're going to talk about Bethlehem. In real estate, there's a term, location, location, location. And how location is everything. This morning, we're going to look at the location where our Lord and Savior was born. For the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. As we grow older, we seem to be drawn back, or at least I have been drawn back to my childhood days of where I was born and raised. I was born in Bessemer. That's just south of Birmingham. <laughs> my earliest memories of where we lived, and we lived out in the country, are with woods and streams and a wonderful playground for a young boy. But my dad, he worked at the ore mines in Birmingham. And he was terminated when they closed the mines down back in 1954. Things were sort of rough here in the south, so we had family friends in Detroit, Michigan, so off we went. Now, as a little guy, my image of Detroit was tenement housing. You know, only things I had seen on TV. Which did not appeal to me a whole lot. But to my surprise, there were nice neighborhoods in Michigan. <laughs> and mom and dad, after a few years there, they divorced. And a few years later... Uh, we moved to California, my mom and my brother and I, where my sister lived. And it was because my mother desperately wanted an environment change, and California seemed like a good answer. So off we went. Finished our schooling there, went to work, got married, was caught up into the urban sprawl of Southern California. And I lived in California until 1995. By that time, I'm happily remarried to Lori, and we moved to Harvest, Alabama. Harvest. I thought, man, what a great name for a town. <laughs> and so to Harvest we came. And I lay all this out to say this. Having left the South in 1954, my desires to return to the South never left me. The old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, was very true for me. Hank Williams, Jr., some of you may know who I'm talking about. He sings a song about you're chosen if you're born in Dixie. 
Couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> but for over 30 years, I never visited the South. However, I couldn't shake my fond memories of the South, my early childhood memories of plush green uh, pastures and trees and streams, and you didn't have to irrigate to grow a lawn. So today, Lori and I, we live out in the country. We got some woods, we got a couple of streams, we got a pond or two, and we got three cows out in a green pasture. So the South for me is like a little slice of heaven. And my Lord brought me back, back to my roots, and for me this was a good thing. Now, I have a point in all this touching reminiscing. For one of the prophecies of Jesus involves where Jesus is to be born. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This prophecy in Micah tells us clearly where the Messiah is to be born. Not Jerusalem, not Bethany, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about seven miles south of Jerusalem where Jesus of Nazareth is born. <laughs> Jesus was raised in Nazareth and which is about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, Nazareth was a military outpost for the Romans in the Galilee area in what would be called Israel. And having said this, it was no accident where Jesus was born, and it's no accident where you and I are born or where we're raised. For God has a plan for each of us, just like he had a plan for his son. And his plans... They're good plans, and they're fulfilling. Mary and Joseph, they lived in Nazareth, over 55, uh, about 55 miles north of Bethlehem. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but that's a week's journey when you have to do the walking. We travel around the entire world in less than a week now. So our God, because it's his plan, he has to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because that is his plan. And his plans are never thwarted by man. I'm convinced of this truth. The changes that come about in a believer's life, whether it's location, whether it's vocation, Whatever it is, they're God-orchestrated. He's in control. As with me coming back to the South, finally it dawned on me, perhaps the Lord wanted me to try and plan a Calvary Chapel. And maybe even in the South. 
The big issue to me was, where? Where do you want me to do this, Lord? At first, I thought it would be in Turlock, California, where Lori and I lived at the time. And we had a, an almond ranch, and they call them ranches, they don't call them farms. We had an almond ranch, and we grew peaches and almonds and walnuts. And life was good. Give us a good income. And we'd been involved in several home studies in that area and knew several families, and several of these families wanted us to start a work in that area. But there were two things that were paramount to us in starting any Calvary outreach, where and when. <laughs> and as Lori and I, we prayed over this issue, the desire to return to the South, it still nagged and pulled at my heart. Now, I may not appear it, but I am very practical in my approach to following God, which is not always good, because sometimes it leaves out faith. I have a very logical and practical side to my faith. In fact, not having any musical skills, a worship leader was a very important issue for me. If you're going to start a work, you need to have good music. You need somebody that can do your worship. So I was trying to line up someone to do worship for us right there in Turlock. And a good friend of mine had volunteered to do this. He was going to come alongside us, and he was going to uh, be our worship leader. And I'm starting to get my ducks lined up because that was important to me. But this desire, this longing to return to the South, it still kind of hung in my heart. So what do you do? Finally, I prayed. Hey, there's a good idea. God, take this desire to go back to the South, take it away, or take me to the South. Well, to make a long story short, here we are. And through circumstances... God ordained circumstances, we began to scout out the South. Being from the Birmingham area, where I had relatives and had a few connections, that was my first thought. But at that time, there was a small cavalry trying to get started in the Birmingham area. So through default, we came to the Huntsville area. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Living in Madison, there was one family friend here. They promptly moved away when we moved here. <laughs> so here we were in Madison County, not knowing anyone, having sold the ranches. And you talk about having second thoughts. I'm thinking, were these dreams of mine of starting a Calvary, were they simply misguided fantasies? And for a year, I would sit out on my front porch and pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I get something going? We couldn't even get a home Bible study going. We didn't know anyone. Hey, yeah, sure, come to my Bible. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> it 
In California, it was easy. Calvaries are well known there. Hang a sign, people come. And after a couple years, after we finally got something going, we went back to California for a visit. And a friend of ours, a good friend of ours, he's got a home study going in Turlock. And there are about 40 to 50 people attending his home study, which was about 20 more than we were able to bring in on a Sunday. And my friend's praying, should I start a church? And I'm thinking, what have I done? <laughs> and at that time, about two or three years, like I said, we were up to about 30 people. And every now and again, someone will move here from California. They hear that we're Calvary. They come out and they, they encourage me with words like, this is the smallest Calvary I've ever attended. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Eat worms and die. <laughs> I won't mention names, Dallas. <laughs> but I want you to know, it could be worse. Carl Peets, who covered for me one Sunday here, and he's trying to start a work over in Mississippi. Uh, he came here and he brought his son with him. And they come into the sanctuary. And I loved his son. And his son said, Dad, look at all the chairs. No, yeah. <laughs> but if I had known how long it would take just to have a beautiful metal building like this, a gravel parking lot with a nice long new sidewalk out there, yeah. We're moving on up. Have a few of you folks attend regularly. Perhaps I would have reconsidered, Lord, take me to the south. I might have prayed, Lord, take that desire away now, please. But now that we're bursting at the seams, look at all of us. Multitudes attending each and every Sunday. I battle pride. And then some family that's been attending here for a while will move away and we pray over them. And I come back to reality. You know, there goes another family. <laughs> when I look back, I see the hand of the Lord. And I took you with me this morning. I do realize it was God that brought us here. And what a wonderful thing it is to know His will and to be in His will. It is very comforting to know God has been leading us all the way. He's been opening doors and closing doors, but He has always been leading. Scripture is very plain about where Jesus, the Messiah, must be born, and that is in Bethlehem. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we'll read a little bit. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. That might be the longest lead-in I've ever had to a sermon, but hey. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. 
And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while, while they were there, that the days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's amazing to me that we have the most powerful man in the world at this time, Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome, and Caesar makes a decree, and he makes this decree based upon Mary, a young Jewish servant girl of Nazareth, in her eighth month of pregnancy, and he must get her to Bethlehem. The only thing is, Caesar doesn't know this. But it's his decree, and it's by God's plan. Mary must travel to Bethlehem with Joseph, her espoused husband. Caesar had no clue that his decree was ordained by God. But that didn't matter. Bethlehem, the city of David, well, it's beginning to swell with all the homecoming that's going on with all the, the Jews from the lineage of David are, are coming to Bethlehem. And for Mary and Joseph, this is a condition of inconvenience to the max. But it's ordained of God. Mary and Joseph must go. Now, if you were Mary or Joseph, would you not have wondered why are things so difficult? God, shouldn't things be going a little easier? After all, you have told us Mary is pregnant by your Holy Spirit. Shouldn't that lighten the load a little bit? What's up with all these difficulties? Therein lies a great lesson for you and I. Ease or difficulties of circumstance never determine God's will. How many times have you seen or heard people that have said, well, things were just falling into place, so I knew it was God's will. And you know what I say to that? Maybe. <laughs> that doesn't determine God's will. God's will is God's will. And the ease or difficulty of it never determined His will. Look what He did to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. God's chosen one, the Messiah, well, he's spoken of throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Mary and Joseph, they had to become familiar with those passages, especially after they realized 
that Mary is to bear the Messiah child. Scripture, like the government, will rest upon his shoulders. Unto you a king is born. I would become familiar with those scriptures. Joseph was a devout man. He was a good man of the law. He knew the scriptures. Mary, when you read her song, you know that she knew the scriptures. They know who Jesus is, and they know that their time is special. Yet here they are in Bethlehem, in a stable, out among animals, and many have said it's probably a cave. Perhaps. I don't know. We don't know. But we do know that all the sights and all the smells and all the hardship of living among animals, they are required to endure. Now, I'm told that sheep are the, the singular dumbest animal. Now, I don't know much about sheep. But I do know a little bit about cows. Cows are not as dumb as they are stubborn, especially about eating. I have two pregnant heifers and one young steer. I supplement their hay diet with what we call sweet feed. You know, just a couple scoops of grain. It's got a little molasses in it, and they love it. Every day, I feed them a little sweet feed. Close to the same time, same amount, in the same feed tubs. Yet, they come running, they push and shove, they butt one another over the same amount of feed that they're going to get every day. But we glamorize the nativity scene with cute little stablers. Stablers is what my grandson, who's four, year old, four years old, that's what he calls them nativity scene. He calls them stablers. I thought it was cool. <laughs> and we go to great effort to make rustic-looking nativity scenes mangers made out of old barn wood. And my point is this. Animals are dirty. They smell dirty. And I am careful where I step in my pasture after I feed my cows. Bear this in mind. Joseph is trying to make a temporary little home for Mary and this child to be born in a stable. I'm sure he's spreading the hay around looking for things he, he don't want to be there. <laughs> spreading the fodder around, attempting to find a clean place for Mary that she can just lay down. For she's about to bear a child. But that was Mary and Joseph and all the hardship that they went through. But I want to draw your attention to why you and I are where we are. It was important to God to have Jesus, his Messiah, born in the city of David, Bethlehem. David, a symbol of a godly king. 
Jesus, born of, coming through the lineage of King David, a shepherd. Again, it's important to God for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And we see a great example of God's will being fulfilled. Now I went through that touching saga of myself, being born here in the South, and now I'm allowed to serve the Lord here in the South. But that's true for each and every one of us when we reflect on our lives. We are where we are because that's where God wants us, especially if you're a believer. We have a heritage. Our origins are designed by God. And you and I work and live and function right where God wants us to. Because God's plans are bigger than your will. God's a little bigger than you and I. And God always wins with His people. God in His providence has become or has lessons for us to become exactly what He wants us to be. But oftentimes we resist, don't we? Well, I do. So what does God do when we resist Him? Okay, we'll skip that lesson. No. No, no. I'm afraid not. Our Lord still develops men and women of God today just like He did back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Patiently and persistently. It is comforting to know God has a plan for each and every one of us. And He is more than able to bring it about. Even if He has to have Caesar Augustus make a decree to get you where He wants you. We have a responsibility in this by knowing the Scriptures to a degree. We have a responsibility not to resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For He has a plan, and it's a good plan for us, and how much better is it to embrace His plan versus resisting His plan? Paul said, I have learned to be content, whether rich or poor, slave or free. God's sovereignty, God's plan for each of us is always good. Perhaps hard, perhaps difficult, maybe not so pleasant, but it's always good. And God's plan is greater than our will to resist Him. And for that, we are blessed. I am blessed, you are blessed, because God's plan for you is greater than your will to resist Him. Merry Christmas and amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.
Father, when I look back upon my life, and I've shared part of that here this morning, Lord, I see Your providence. I see Your will coming forth. And Your plans, Lord, for each of us are good plans. Your thoughts towards us are good thoughts. Thank You, Lord, for loving us more than our resistance. Thank You for overcoming us by Your goodness, Lord. And Lord, when we look at Mary and Joseph and what you did just to get them into the right place for Jesus to be born, it's amazing. And yet you do the same things in our lives. And you're not above having the most powerful man in the world working on your behalf in our lives. So we thank you for that, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to resist you. We want, by your Holy Spirit, to be in tune with what you're doing in our lives. Lord, you told us that we were your friends, and you show your friends what you're about to do. So, Lord, as you begin to show us what you're doing in our lives, may we embrace it. May we be in favor. May we count your will above and beyond our wisdom, Lord. So we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come in our hearts. And may we surrender and bow that knee to you, knowing that your plans for us are good plans. We pray for that this Christmas season. And thank you again for sending Jesus. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen.